Well, today uh, we are going to uh, talk about the third part in our series looking at the letter to the Colossians. And if you're new or you're just checking this out, you're kind of coming in on the third week where we've been unpacking already the first couple of chapters in this letter. It's about four chapters. Um, They don't evenly kind of work out. Sometimes I I question and query where they put the chapter headings. I'm like, well, I'd put the chapter heading a little bit different spot than that. But it is what it is. I didn't get to decide. No one came and asked me for my opinion. Last week, we heard a fantastic message from Hannah. Um, And the week before, we heard a great message from the guy who did that one. Um, Well, that was me. Um... But today, we're going to be unpacking a little bit about what this passage that we've just heard about is about. But I want to begin today by us doing a game. And I thought, well, we are going to have the youth in here, but I I know that um, they don't know that we play games in here every other week. Uh, Don't we? Uh, Yeah, you're allowed to lie at the moment in this... um just in this context. And so we thought we'd give you a taste of what this is. So here's what I need you to do. I need everyone to stand up. This is a game of elimination. And when you get this wrong, um, this is an honesty before God issue or before your spouse or friend, whoever's sitting next to you. If they hear you say the incorrect answer, um, they'll give you the the look, which is that you're meant to sit down. Okay? And uh, we're going to have a little practice. Here's how it works. Um, This is a basic identity to roll game. So when an image comes up on the screen, I'm going to say to you, um, who is this? I'm not asking you for the person's name. I'm not asking you to say a beloved child of God. I'm asking you to just tell us based on what they're wearing and the image, what are they by role? Are we all clear? All right. Let's have a test at this for the first one, and you get a chance, all right? What's the first one we've got here? I'm hearing various answers here. I'm hearing winner. I'm hearing Queenslander. That would be the correct answer. Queenslander state of origin player would be the correct answer, right? Uh, And I felt that that God was challenging me with my pride to put this as the first picture this morning as someone who comes from New South Wales as my state of origin. And um, I just felt like I was meant to just do that this morning, just to kind of honor the congregation here and also just acknowledge... um, the great disappointment in my heart over Wednesday night's game. But it's not over. There's a third one. And we always play growing up. Last game wins all. So that's, that's the rules that we're, we're going to implement in this. All right. Are you ready? All right. Here we go. Let's go to the next slide. What do we got? Cricketer is the answer. If you didn't say cricketer, you've got to take a seat. Wow. All right, we've got some sport education to do here. All right, uh, let's go to the next photo. Ooh. I will take lawyer or barrister. All right, let's go to the next one. I beg your pardon? No, it's not Matt Damon, even though it is Matt Damon. Matt Damon is not his role. What is he by uniform? Astronaut. If you didn't say astronaut, you can take a seat. A couple of people said Martian. 
That's the movie. That's just what went off in your head. All right, next one. Doctor is the answer. If you didn't say doctor, you can take a seat. The next one. This is tricky. Are they going to get harder? I will take Navy or Air Force or Defence Force officer. I'm being generous, that's right, yes. All right, so they're about to get harder. All right, who have we got? We look around, look around at yourselves. Uh, see yourselves as those who are standing as um, pretty good at this game. That, like, I'm just wanting you to build your self-esteem up. So, yeah, I'm good at something. All right, next one. Chef is the answer. The next one. That's right. The next one. They're getting harder. Tennis player. If you didn't say tennis player, you've got to have a seat. Whoa. What'd you all say? Model. All oh, right, there you go. All right, next one. That's right. Some of you are like, I'm hearing slight delay around the person near you to go, I'm golfer. All right, that's good. If you didn't say golf, you can take a seat. Next one, getting harder. Specifically, Liverpool football player. You get a bonus. Uh, you're in the, um, the VIP category if you said Liverpool, uh, the greatest football team on earth. All right, next. Fisherman. If you didn't say fisherman, you can have a seat. Did you guys both say fisherman? Yeah, all right, just checking. I feel like these two are like working together, a little bit of conspiracy down the front here. All right, and this is going to be the final one. Don't put it up just yet, all right? This is going to determine how good you are at picking identities, all right? Let's put it up. All right, if you said Chewbacca, you can take a seat. If you said Wookiee, you are the winner. So all the people that are standing that said Wookiee, would you give them a hand? All righty, so we're going to come back to why we did that in just a moment. Uh, but that is, how did, how did all your youthies go? Not very good. Wow. All right. Cool. I have to work on your observational skills. Ellie's got a comment. Wow. See, uh, you shouldn't do... This is when preachers get themselves in trouble because we try to do something for the youth. And then we find ourselves caught in a struggle. Uh, all right, Ellie, I'll give that one to you. All right, you can... Feel like a winner. All right, can everyone just give Ellie a hand? Last week, Ellie wasn't in the room when we all uh, were sort of cheering and celebrating the fact that she has served our, our young people on a Sunday morning for a very long time, and uh, we're super grateful for the input because you often miss out on what's also happening in here, but you also get to input and also receive from all those young people upstairs, so it's fantastic. Thank you, Ellie. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. We're going to take a moment. I'm going to look at this in the NIV. 
uh, translation, and then we're going to compare this to what Eugene Peterson translates in the message. So Paul begins and he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. A couple of comments about this passage of Scripture that's really important for us to emphasize, first of all. When we read this, we read this through eyes of our culture and our understanding, and we come to the text reading it in the English uh, translation, and we're not seeing the Greek, and we're not seeing often the messages that are culturally sitting behind this. And so it'd be very easy for us to come to this particular text and hear what Paul was saying to the church in Colossae that was planted by and started by Epaphras. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we were saying that Epaphras goes to Paul, who's in prison. He's suffering for his declaration that Jesus is Lord, which is a complete counter statement to Caesar is Lord. And he's telling people about the way. And he's going around and he's part of this community that is starting these new, as we've been saying, alternative communities to that of the empire. And so it's a very crazy kind of thing that they're doing. It's, it's truly a challenging countercultural life that they're being called to. And Paul, in this letter, is trying to encourage them about how to live as a new and a small community in a culture and an empire where its values are very often the opposite of the way of Christ. And so in chapter 3, in this section, he's telling them to set their hearts on things above and to set their mind on things above and not on earthly things. Now, it could be easy to hear that verse and think, okay, from now on, I am going to start thinking only of things that are up above in heaven, where Christ is, and I'm just going to think about whatever is going on up there. Now, when I was younger, I would call myself an enthusiastic, kind-hearted, fundamentalist literalist. And basically, the reason why is because I'd read a verse like that, and I'd want to take it seriously because I loved God, and I loved Jesus, and I wanted to practice it. So I'd be going through my day trying very often really hard in my head. It's like, oh, it's really hard to do it because there's things to see here in the world. But Paul's telling us to think about, you know, things above. And I could never quite work out how to do it. And it felt like I was losing all the time because, like, I would think about things above, like going to heaven when you die and, you know, escaping this big, bad world. And then the reality was I had to live in this world all day long. So it can be confusing when you think, how do you live thinking about things above? When Paul is saying, think about things above and set your heart and set your mind on that, he's not saying to escape from, in your head from this world and to detach yourself. He's saying, may your, the focus of your heart and the thoughts of your mind be that that are above the systems, the principalities, the powers, the structures of this world that sit under Caesar and the empire 
and let your mind and your heart be focused on the things that are about who Christ is as Lord over all creation. Think the thoughts of heaven. Think the thoughts of Christ and live those out in the way that you engage in your everyday. And that way, you don't live detached from the world around about you. You live deeply integrated into the world around about it without being a servant of the culture, the systems, the values of the world in which you live around about it. You're able, when you think the mind and you have your heart set on Christ, to analyze and discern what are the things in culture and society that are good and look like the kingdom of heaven on earth. Because not all culture and not all things are bad. You can affirm those things. And then you can challenge the things that are anti the way of Christ. Those things that result in injustice and corruption and greed. The things that destroys community. And rather than being caught up and going along with those things, you can slow down and you can do what Paul says, which is basically think like heaven on earth. And that's the first thought I want to share with you this morning. Think like heaven on earth. If Jesus is here and we're walking with Christ through our day, to think of things above, to think and have our heart and our mind set where Christ is seated, is to see everything through the lens of what it means to live where Christ is Lord over all creation. So think like heaven on earth, which is why Eugene Peterson really cleverly articulates for us in his version, and he says it like this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. In other words, let it actually be part of your life. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. In other words, be alert to what God is doing in Christ. Look up. Be alert to what's going on around Christ that's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Beautifully expressed. And I love the way he writes that. The second thought I have for you today is this idea of dressing for purpose. Dressing for the role that you actually have. There used to be a song in the 1980s by a band called Roxette. Any Roxette fans in the room? Wow, awesome. Me and you. Um, I used to love, in the late 80s, Roxette. They had a song called Dress for Success. Anyone remember that song? Do you want me to sing it for you? Um, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to offend people here. Um, But it would, you know, it was sort of like, you got to dress for success. That's about as good as I can get. And it was a really catchy tune. You can look it up later. If you've got Bluetooth, don't put it on now and sort of zone out and go, oh, yeah, it's something to be distracted with. Um, But that song's often in my head. And so the idea in the song was dress yourself anticipating success. You're actually getting into the right gear to actually be in the right mindset for what it is you need to do. Now, we do this all the time. You choose clothing that feels like this is who I am and here's how I want to do my day. 
for the most part. Some people in here have no concept of that whatsoever. Stereotypically, sometimes this is a male in a marriage relationship who has to go to his wife and say, what do you think? And they go, no. Do not go to church wearing that. Um, and at that point, um, and I believe in mutual submission, um, you say, I'll trust you even though I don't know if I agree yet. And I have been known to, to change a few times um, based on the face expression of Teresa when I've walked out into the kitchen area and she's looked and I've gone, oh man, all right. But there are certain environments that you dress up for, which is why we play that game about identity. Some roles have very specific uniforms that send a message about what that is about. And one of the interesting things, having been involved in church world and also in the business world, is you see this distinction. In church world, generally speaking, in modern times, there's a fairly casual approach to what uh, pastors and leaders and people in the, in, the, in the church wear. Traditionally, there used to be a very specific uniform. There would be a robe and you'd have a collar. I've always wanted one of those. I've never, I've always been in a tradition that didn't have them. And so if anyone has access to one, you want to get me one, I promise you I will wear it here one day if you get it for me. Work amongst yourselves. I don't need 20 of them, all right? Um, but anyway, I would wear, it's like, it'd be kind of fun, something I've never got to experience. But it sends a message. The Salvation Army, I have many friends who've grown up the Salvation Army, would wear uniforms, and, and it might seem odd to us, but when you walk into a shopping center, or somewhere where a Salvation Army is serving the community, you know immediately who they are. The uniform, what they're wearing, says something about who they are. Which is why we're often thrown in society or culture when someone doesn't fit the stereotype norm. You know, you meet someone who's a lawyer, and they're dressed in jeans and a casual shirt, and you're like, eh, really? And there's a little bit of doubt, and then you, you, know, you test out, oh, okay, actually, they're pretty good, they're very smart, they know what they're doing. I was just a little bit thrown because they're not wearing the stereotypical uniform. And this is where it's kind of funny. And today, I don't want to talk about the idea at a superficial level of what it means to dress for success. Because we know that our lives need to be more than just what's spoken about on the outside. It's the substance of our lives that actually speak the loudest. Would you agree? And so Paul says some interesting things in this passage. He does a parallel in calling us, as we just heard in the scripture read by the girls this morning, to basically put to death or to rid ourselves, or the inference being to put off those behaviors that look like the systems and the culture of this world that lead to death and destruction. And there's some kind of heavy language there. Some translations say that God's wrath is coming. Some say God is angry towards those who live in this way. But wrath and anger is the direct result of what happens when there is a violation of love. When because of human behavior... We act in such a way that selfishly serves us at the expense of others. God is upset about that. Because the heartbeat of God is always towards shalom. Always towards peace and goodness and justice. Which is why the prophets went on and on and on about it. Very often to deaf ears. 
Because God cares about us. God cares about the community. And this world was created to be experienced in community. And it flows from the very substance of who God, as we understand, is as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity, as we, as theologians often call it, the expression of the plurality of that harmonious relationship that takes place in the Godhead. And the Bible tells us we're created in the image of God to reflect God's image in the way that we live our lives. So when Paul says to rid yourself of sexual practices, he's not saying sex is bad. It's too much else in the Scripture to affirm that this is a gift of God. What he's speaking about is those passions and those behaviors that are actually all about me as a consumer taking hold of whatever I can to serve my own personal preferences and pleasures instead of engaging in relationship and expressing sexuality out of loving, faithful relationship in the way that God has invited us to. Not only does he speak to ridding yourself of that kind of living that's self-centered and just all about you, but he, he, he actually then frames right next to us the issue of greed and the way that we conduct our lives in whether we live for ourselves selfishly or whether we actually contribute in sharing generously with others. And he calls both of these aspects of living idolatry. In other words, we have made something that is finite an ultimate thing. And we are living surrendered to that thing instead of to Christ who is Lord over all creation, the God who is love, the God who shows us what that love looks like through the cross, sacrificial love. And that is how we're invited to live. So he says, rid yourself of that stuff that's all about you. Now, think about this for a moment. If we compare these verses, he starts off in these first verses and he says, rid yourself of all these behaviors. He goes on and he says things like, um, pride and arrogance. And he says, um, in some translations, abusive language. Uh, Eugene Peterson translated it as dirty talk. But let me clarify, when Paul is writing this list, he's not as sometimes I was taught in the 1980s, trying to get us to externally behave the right way by not saying a swear word. And if you make that the main emphasis, you kind of miss, because what we do is we come up with these little external rules like, here's how we're not going to do that, and we miss the bigger point. When he actually speaks about our speech, he's actually talking about abusive speech, which is the kind of speech that actually plays down the image of God in others. I once got confronted by someone who said, I just heard these Christians over there in this group, and, and they're saying uh, dirty language. And I said, I didn't hear it. He's like, I'll tell you what they said. I'm like, you don't have to tell me what they said. I was like, but yeah, they, they, they're swearing. And I'm like, who is being offended? Now, I'm, I'm not a big swearer. I can't say I never, because these guys will go, I heard you. Um, but I don't go around dropping certain kinds of words all the time. He, it's just, 
just hasn't been part of my culture and I still have that thing hanging over my head of my mum and dad going, don't you say that word. If you say shut up, that's it. I remember being super offended one day and I got told you can't say shut up and then I heard my mum say it to the dog next door. It's like, what? I just heard my mum swear. She swore at the dog. Look, have a debate about how that all works and what's culturally right and wrong. Here's what Paul's getting at. Bearing false testimony, undermining, treating someone else as less than the human that God says they are, created in the image of God, this is what Paul is getting at. And this list of vices that he discusses in these verses is like saying, think about this for a moment, there's two suburbs, and everyone wants to live in a nice suburb, right? That's just a normal thing to think. I kind of want to live in a nice place where there's goodness and it's wholesome and it's going to be good for my kids and my family and I don't have to worry about too much stuff. You think about it, these first verses is like Paul saying there's a whole bunch of people and they live for themselves, they're selfish, they're all about consuming from others, taking whatever they can get and living for themselves. They discard the humanity in others, they don't care about relationship with others, they use people for their own purposes. Now think about that suburb and think, do I want to live in that suburb? And then he goes on and says, but here's how I want you to live. And he begins to describe the behaviors that he says, put on this kind of clothing. And he describes all the things that are beautiful and good. Now you think about it, which suburb do you want to live in? So he goes on and he says this in verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then powerfully he says this phrase, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here's the thought I want to leave you with this morning. Who I am governs what I do. Who I am governs what I do. Welcome to all our kids as they're coming in this morning. Here's the thing. My dad was a paramedic for 35 years. When he showed up on a scene where there'd been an accident, his uniform, his role, his identity kicked into play. He did not act like a dad at the cricket match when he turned up to that scene. But that's also who he was to me. He turned up and he was a paramedic. He got there, he was in the mindset. He saw himself that way. He knew that everybody else saw him that way. And when he turned up to a scene, people would say, the person's here, come over here. Can you help us? Sometimes people would be hysterical. And he would have to work in the, the, the art and the practice of both care, caring for and working on someone's life as an intensive care paramedic in extremely intense situations and trying to remain calm and cool. Why? Because that's who he was. Some years ago, Someone hurt me in ways I never realized I would ever be hurt 
And I remember thinking I was carrying this weight of this hurt and this pain over how someone treated me. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I knew that I was supposed to forgive because this passage says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. But I was struggling in how to do it. It was a little bit like when C.S. Lewis, the famous author, said, forgiveness is a decision that we make in a moment and then the feelings catch up with us down the track. Can anyone testify to that experience? What I realized was that I was struggling to experience the feelings of forgiving as Christ has forgiven me. Because what I was really hoping was that someone would come and tell me an update on how this person was going and that I would hear news that they're struggling or they're having a hard time or that their life isn't working out so well for them. Because of my own hurt, because of my own sense of justice and the fact that this person needs to suffer a bit for the way that they have treated me. For the fact that I look like a certain way in the eyes of people because of the way this person has treated me. And it doesn't feel right. And so I went to someone for help. And when I went to this person, they said to me, look, I don't know what else to do, but I've got this little prompting and I want to encourage you to consider doing it. Would you go and meet with this person and ask them to forgive you? And I was sitting there going, in my head, no. Why would I do that? They're the person that caused me the offense. So after a lot of debating to and fro, I drove away from that conversation and I rang the person up on my phone and I said, I'd love to at some point in the coming weeks or months just meet up. And they said, I'm free now. <laughs> and in my head I went, well, I'm not ready. But the words came out of my mouth were, all right, I'll meet you at this cafe. And I'm like, ah, and I was freaking out. And when I got to the cafe, I met up with this person and all I wanted to hear from them was, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. Instead, we sat and did small talk for some time until I finally said, listen, I just want to say, if I have done anything that has caused any hurt or disappointment to you, I just want to say I'm really sorry, even that I might not even be aware of. The person was so shocked. They didn't know what to say at first. They sat back and they said, thank you, you have no idea what that means to me. And I'm like, that's, that's right. I have no idea <laughs> what on earth And then the, the conversation finishes and we're walking out and I'm just going, what on earth just happened? What, how did this happen? And as I turn around to walk off to my car, the person calls out my name and calls him back and says, hey, I realized today that I treated you very unfairly and spent the next 10 minutes apologizing to me for all the things that I'd been feeling and carrying and saying, it was out of line, you didn't deserve it, here's what was happening for me, gave me some context. And then I said thank you, and I went back to my car, and I sat in my car in a shopping center car park, and I was overcome with emotion, and I wept. You know why that day I did that? Because the man that I met with earlier who said to me, I feel like you need to go and ask forgiveness for that person, said to me, remember who you are. You're a man of God. You're a son of the king. And he just spoke these words about my identity into my heart. And it was because of who I am that I acted. Who you are 
determines what you do. Now, I want to finish by saying this. In verse 17, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And then he goes on to unpack what it means in their culture and their system for wives and husbands and children and in that day and in that culture, slaves. How do you behave as equals in Christ? How do you treat one another and serve one another in such a way that it's life-giving and liberating and that Christ is really at Lord in your hearts and in your minds? It's to do all these things. It's to clothe yourselves with the things that Paul says. Now listen, down the front here, I've got, I've got a, a jacket. And a funny thing happens. Because most people see me in a very casual environment, I do one thing. I do this. What do you think, guys? Now I do this, and the other day, I walk out of my office, and Ruth goes, ooh. <laughs> and, and there's all these comments all through the office, like, I did one little change. I, I, I put a jacket on over the shirts that I basically wear every day. I've wore the same pants casually here, but then wear them to dress up. But I put on a coat, and all of a sudden, it's like a different identity. I get like a totally different response from people. Do you know what Paul says in this passage? He says, clothe yourselves with compassion and humility and mercy and all of these descriptions. Go home and read it. And then he sends, he finishes up the section by saying, basically, but above all else, clothe yourself with love. Because this is what holds it all together. So my challenge to you is this this morning, and I want to invite the musicians to come forward. Put on the clothes of love. Live at your identity every day, surrendered to the one who gives you your identity. Every day can I encourage you, begin your day in surrender, saying, God, who I am is a son of the most loved God. I'm a beloved son of God, and I am a follower of the way. And because of who I am, that's going to change how I live and act today. When I walk into the supermarket, when I go into the shopping center and I see someone at the counter, how I treat them, what's my uniform? Who am I? I'm a follower of the way. And I'm clothed in love, so I'm going to practice doing that. And the more you practice that in a surrendered life to Jesus as Lord and set your heart and your mind on things above, I'm telling you, over time, it starts to become second nature. It's actually core to who you really are. But now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're surrendering daily into those behaviors and those activities. And that's how you learn to forgive. And that's how you learn to show mercy and compassion and change your perspective on how you see others that once you saw in inhumane ways, once you were abusive towards them in your thoughts or your words or your actions, but now you see them totally different because you are clothed in love. You're a son or daughter of the Most High God, and you are living in the way of Christ as He has shown us. This is the way.